Good morning, afternoon, or evening, SoCal sports fans, whenever you may be. This is your Mob Squad of One LA Rams podcast, where we share thoughts on what's happening with our beloved Rams, with a sprinkling of other SoCal sports segments of interest. We appreciate you taking the time to give us a listen. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 2, February 22nd, 2021, and this is what we have on tap for you today. We'll have some quick coverage of non-LA Rams sports nuggets, including a second look at the Dodgers' Trevor Bauer signing. We'll share a segment on the Rams' outlook at wide receiver and what the draft may hold for them. A look at the wave of changes to the Rams' coaching staff. And we're also going to check in on the Lakers and Clippers. And of course, we'll close with our weekly sports pet peeve of the week. A quick rehash from something we discussed last week. You remember I had voiced concerns over how accepting LA Dodger fans would be of Trevor Bauer and his political views and his willingness to express them. But one listener uh, sent me a note saying that that would just be a small part of it. Uh, his position was that if Bauer pitches well, Dodger fans will love him regardless of his political opinions. And in retrospect, I think he's probably right. I may have overstated that concern. There's certainly going to be a percentage of fans who will ne- never fully accept him. But uh, a bigger problem, uh, as this listener pointed out, was how he's going to be accepted in the clubhouse. If you remember, team leaders like Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts and even manager Dave Roberts were leaders in the support of the Black Lives Matter movement in the during the 2020 season. You may remember that the Dodgers actually forced the cancellation of a game with the Giants uh, refusing to play in support of the protests. So in rolls a guy like Bauer, who, uh, as, as we've said, has made it clear what his political positions are on those matters. I, I think we can read. I mean, he's never come out and said as much, but I think we can connect the dots and know where he stands on those types of issues. So this is primarily a Rams broadcast. I don't want to get too wound up in another Dodger issue or a Dodger issue once again, but... I just wanted to revisit that since I probably overstated how uh, L.A. Dodger fans would respond to the acquisition of Bauer. Wide receivers in the NFL draft. Let's do a quick review of the Rams wide receivers. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, We seem pretty solid there. They're all very similar. Route runners, dependable, reliable. Woods and Cup are definitely excellent after the catch. Not sure about Van Jefferson yet. What I like about Robert Woods is his tenacity when I watch him play. When he finishes a play, it looks like he's ready for a fist fight. And I love that about him. If you were to ask me, you know, what player from the Rams... I would take into an alley with me. It'd probably be Robert Woods. He just seems like 
He's just so tenacious and so tough and always ready to fight the good fight. Love that about him. Cooper Cup, for the most part, extremely reliable. He, After the catch, he's amazing. He seems to get every possible yard out of every catch. Van Jefferson, we didn't see enough of him. But what we saw was enough to feel comfortable with him as the number three guy and stepping up if he needs to be a number two guy. But let's take a look at let's take a look at what the Rams need at that position. And in my opinion, it's clearly a vertical threat, a speed guy, not a gadget guy, someone someone that can get down the field and take the top off a of defense. You can imagine how valuable that's going to be with a guy like Stafford and his arm and these reliable route-running guys and guys like Woods also that can take the ball on a jet sweep and on a running play, a screen play. If you have that guy that can stretch the defense, it's just going to be just the threat of that is going to open up this offense so much. So let's look at the wide receivers in the NFL draft, and I'm going to ignore some of the guys, the, the high-end guys that we obviously are not going to have a chance at, we're not going to have a shot at, and uh, that would include the guys that are marginally, could possibly slip to the Rams, but highly doubtful, Thailand Wallace, Terrace Marshall, Kadarius Tony, Those guys I'm counting as gone. Uh, I think that's that'd probably be the consensus among most mockers, and, and it, one one thing, let me say one thing about mock drafts. They're a lot of fun. They're not very useful, though. I think it's a lot more uh, useful to identify the players that will fit a team's scheme and who might be available. Try to make a prediction. I've been doing this. I've been following the Rams for 50 years, and I very rarely get a pick right. I didn't get the Aaron Donald pick right. I didn't get the Todd Gurley pick right. I didn't get the Michael Brockers pick right. So... I'm not going to waste any time with that. I am going to go. So I'm going to go down some receivers that uh, I think would likely be available at some point when the Rams are picking and who I think have great value for what the Rams need and the type of offense they run. Two early guys that I really liked uh, that would fit well, I think, are Emir Smith Marset out of Iowa. I watched some tape on him, and he just jumps off the screen as an NFL-style receiver. He's got speed. He's got great hands. He's explosive. He just looks like an NFL guy. I really liked him. The other one that will be available that I'm kind of on the fence on is Tutu Atwell. He's one of the fastest guys in the draft, but I did not see him getting vertical in the tape I watched. More of a underneath, catch-and-go type of guy. I'm not sure that's really going to help the Rams. So at that second round spot where the Rams are picking, Smith-Marset is the guy I like. I don't think they'll reach for some of these later guys, later round guys at that point, but here's some guys that I also liked. One is uh, it was going around on Twitter that the Rams had had a conference call with Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan, and I watched some tape on him, did a little reading, there's a lot to like about him. He plays with an edge, tough, a violent player. He can play special teams in space. He he just dusts everybody, catch and go. And he really can get deep. He can stretch the field. I don't know if that's necessarily his forte, but he has it in him. 
Another guy I'm a little bit on the fence on, but I do like him, is Diami Brown out of North Carolina. The statistics back up his potential. He has a career average depth of target of 17.1 yards, which is incredible. Over That's over three years. So he's catching the ball, on average, 17.1 yards downfield. I don't think he he's necessarily a dynamic player after the catch, but I don't, I don't think that's what you need. You just need someone that's going to stretch the defense a little bit. The guy I really liked was Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss. He's a complete receiver, speed, route running, yards after the catch. Uh, he has some zig and zag to his game. When I was watching him, it reminded me a little bit of Tyreek Hill. I'm not saying he's at that level, but he's not just a burner. He's uh, got some zig and zag, and I really like that. He's a little small, as is uh, Dwayne Eskridge, but he's probably the one I like the most as far as getting value. If you were able to get him in the third or fourth round, I would jump all over that. A few other guys I liked, Trevon Grimes, more of a, a red zone threat, but he's also a deep threat. Anthony Schwartz, he's probably recognized as the fastest guy in the draft. And Marlon Williams uh, out of U- University of Central Florida, a uh, a great combination of speed and size. Marquez Stevenson is also very explosive, but he's out of Houston. Uh, not very experienced, though. Uh, those guys, uh, Grimes, Schwartz, Williams, Stevenson, would be later round guys that uh, if the Rams don't get the guy they want early on, I could see them uh, taking a flyer on one of those guys. There are some other great receivers that I left out that I doing my research, came to the conclusion that they were not a good fit. Could be wrong. I was once before. Those guys include Daz Newsom, another route runner, Tamarion Terry, Seth Williams, Amari Rogers, Sage Surratt, Nico Collins, and Damonte Coxie. That's not to say they aren't solid prospects. I just don't think they're what the Rams need for their scheme and at this time. There's one... Dark Horse that I have not mentioned. I wish I knew more about Tristan Jackson. The Rams had him on the roster all year long. I don't think he was active for a single game that I know of. He was never put on the practice squad, so the Rams clearly wanted to protect him. And I'm wondering if there's something the Rams see in him that we don't know about. I've reached out to some of the Ram insiders over the last several months, two or three times asking them, hey, what's going on with Trish John Jackson? And uh, no one seems to know or they're not bothering to answer. But what I'd like to do is read Lance Zerline's evaluation of him before the draft last year. This is all from Lance, highly respected evaluator. This is what he had to say. Developmental finesse receiver with highly threatening speed as a field-stretching Z. Jackson is a one-year wonder whose 2019 season is quite impressive considering the many raw and underdeveloped elements of his play. Vertical separation isn't a problem, but winning 50-50 balls is. He struggles to track and adjust to throws when forced to break stride and has difficulty finishing contested catches against bigger cornerbacks. The ball skills and instincts need to get better, but better deep ball accuracy and more varied usage as a pro could unlock additional potential and make him an intriguing middle route option. So what really grabbed my attention there 
was threatening speed as a field stretching Z. That could be something that could be why the Rams are holding on to him, protecting him, keeping him on their 53-man roster. Maybe they foresee him being a real contributor in the 2021 season. And if that's the case, maybe we're overthinking this wide receiver evaluation and NFL draft at this time. But there you have it. That's where I see the Rams uh, as far as wide receivers on their roster and potential additions in the NFL draft. I'll talk about free agent possibilities another time. We'll have a segment dedicated to free agency and options for the Rams. We really want to see the salary cap situation get settled before we get into that. In summary, it'll be interesting to see what Tristan Jackson has to offer. Other than that, uh, I'm a big fan of Aliyah Moore, Dwayne Eskridge, and Emmer Smith-Marset. But I'm not the expert. Less need is. We'll see how he plays his hand this year. Let's take a moment to go around the horn with some other Southern California sports news. One of the biggest items was that big contract. The Padres signed Fernando Tatis, 14 years, $340 million. That works out to just over $24 million a year. The Padres are really making a move. They clearly feel like they can challenge the Dodgers, and actually I think they can. They've also added Hugh Darvish and Blake Snell to their uh, pitching rotation. It could be a very entertaining year, especially when the Dodgers and Padres are facing off. They had a very entertaining playoff series last year, if you remember, and would not be surprised to see that happen again. In case no one's noticed, uh, USC and UCLA are on top of the Pac-12 basketball standings. USC knocked off a shorthand at UCLA a few weeks ago, handled them pretty easily. That was UCLA at that time was without Cody Riley and Jalen Hill. They have a rematch on March 6th. Cody Riley is back. Jalen Hill is still out. The absence of those two early on uh, in the past month prompted UCLA to activate Mac Etienne, a six foot ten center from New York, uh, one of the highest rated big men in the country. He was brought on just in December to UCLA. Their plan was to redshirt him, but due to the loss of Riley and Hill, they started playing him. So it'll be interesting to see how much he contributes. Now, if they bring, uh, if they get Jalen Hill back, who's still out for personal matters for the tournaments to follow, UCLA could be a team to contend with. It would be remiss of us to not discuss, even briefly, the changes to the Rams coaching staff. More changes every week, it seems like. Previously, we had lost Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator, to the Chargers. Uh, He's their new head coach, as we all know. Joe Barry followed him, and he's the Chargers' new defensive passing game coordinator. He had been the Rams' linebackers coach. Cornerback coach Aubrey Pleasant has moved on to the Lions. Shane Waldron, the passing game coordinator, has moved on to the Seahawks as their offensive coordinator. And assistant offensive line coach Andy Dickerson is also in Seattle along with Waldron. 
one that may have been uh, missed by a lot of us is the assistant quarterbacks coach for the Rams last year, Liam Cohen, is Kentucky's new offensive coordinator. And the most recent one, which has really caught a lot of us by surprise, is the loss of offensive line coach Aaron Cromer. This came out of nowhere. He's he's extremely respected, has done a great job with the Rams' offensive line. The offensive linemen, from all reports, love him to death. And it was announced as a mutual decision that Cromer is leaving the Rams. Not for another job. He's a free agent coach right now. Really odd. And I don't know, it's really concerning. They have a, a very important coaching position to fill and some big shoes to fill there as well. Also on the front office side, the Rams lost two key assets. Brad Holmes, the college scouting director for the Rams last year, is the Lions' new general manager. And uh, the Rams' scouting director, Riagno, followed him and is Holmes' assistant general manager. So this is uh, these are guys that have clearly done a great job for the Rams and Les Snead, especially on the college side with Brad Holmes. I don't think any team in the NFL can match the Rams' success in identifying talent in the later rounds and as well as identifying undrafted free agents and bringing them in and, and finding guys like the Corey Littletons and Troy Readers and the Darius Williams that come in and become significant contributors for this team. So there's some big shoes to fill. The most recent loss of Aaron Cromer is the one that everybody's still trying to figure out. There's uh, one theory is that it has to do with the news that trickled out on Twitter the other day that that Rob Havenstein is available on a trade. I don't know, it's just one of those rumors that came out of nowhere. And then about the same time, you find out Cromer's um, leaving the Rams. If there's a connection there that maybe Cromer provided some pushback that was unappreciated. I'm just guessing, just theories. Don't quote me on this. But there's got to be a reason, and, and uh, it'll be interesting to find out what those reasons are. Regardless, following the all the coaching changes that Rams have experienced after the 2018 and 2019 season, and now this wave of, of guys leaving, there's just a lot of unanswered questions, and... I have no doubt that McVay is going to be able to find the right people to move this team forward, but I can't call these losses good things, especially the loss of uh, Staley and Cromer. Those are two big shoes to fill. Raheem Morris coming in as a defensive coordinator, I'm not too concerned about that. The other ones I am. One loss I did omit, John Bonamego, the special teams coach, is no longer in that position. He's been retained by the Rams as a senior as a senior assistant coach. So uh, I don't think that's a big loss. The special teams did not perform well, very well last year, regardless. So some challenges for the Rams front office and their coaching staff. And let's cross our fingers and hope Sneed and McVeigh get it figured out. Coming up on the NBA All-Star break pretty soon here. Thought it'd be a good time to check in on the Lakers and Clippers. The Lakers, defending NBA champions, seem to be an improved team over last year. One thing that's really helped them out is the shooting of Wesley Matthews. He's 
pretty much filled Danny Green's role. And Danny was fairly frustrating last year with his three-point shooting. They've also added Montrez Harrell and Dennis Schroeder, big additions. And Taylor and Horton Tucker has started to contribute. One thing that may have gone unnoticed is Kyle Kuzma has noticeably improved his defense. And then, of course, there's LeBron and AD. Uh, Anthony Davis has actually had a slightly off year, and he's out with an injury right now. But assuming he comes back healthy, the Lakers are going to be a really tough team to beat. What's really exciting about them, if you're a Laker fan, is they have an elite D. They can lock teams down for 10-minute stretches. There have been times this year where you're kind of wondering, what is this team doing? They're down by 10, they're down by 12, then their defense kicks into high gear, and next thing you know, they're up by 8, and it's it's more because of their ability to lock teams down. Now, if there's a team that they should be concerned with, I'm not going to disrespect the Jazz. They're having a great season, and the Clippers will be a tough out as well if it comes down to that. But the 76ers are the one team that could give the Lakers some trouble. Of course, that wouldn't happen until the championship game. But from what I've seen, the Lakers are the team to beat. And if AD is healthy and they're playing the way we've seen them play so far this season, they're going to be the, they're going to be repeat champions. That Achilles heel injury that AD has right now, he's out for up to four weeks. That's concerning. He needs to come back and, and get back to his regular self. As for the Clippers, it's all about can Paul George carry over his regular season play into the playoffs? They need that to happen if they're going to have a shot at knocking off teams like the Lakers. That's been Paul George's uh, history. He's clearly an elite player in the NBA. He needs to be an elite player in the NBA playoffs. Interestingly, the team that the Clippers have to be most concerned with, obviously the Lakers are going to be a a tough out for them, but the team that they should be most concerned with is the team that they may want to see again, and that's the Denver Nuggets, because the Nuggets knocked them out last year. Clippers may want revenge, would probably like to see them and give them some payback, but it may be one of those cases of be careful what you wish for. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. All-Star break's coming up, and main thing is Anthony Davis has to get back healthy, and we'll see if Paul George can continue his current play and carry that into the playoffs. Both teams looking like serious threats. Lakers are probably at this point the favorite to win the title, and Clippers clearly have a shot. So it's, it's going to be a great second half of the season here for the Los Angeles teams after the All-Star break. time for our sports pet peeve of the week. This one has been burning on me for quite a while, and it's in regards to Super Bowl standings. I've seen this many places, but I'm just going to use one place for reference here, and that's the Pro Football Reference website. Lots of good information. These guys uh, are a great source for historical information on teams, games, players. But I have an issue with how they stack their Super Bowl standings. 
in my mind, if you have one Super Bowl win and zero Super Bowl losses, meaning that you've been to one Super Bowl, you should not be ahead in the standings of a team that has one win in the Super Bowl and three losses. It just makes no sense to me. For example, the current standings, they have the New York Jets in 16th place with one Super Bowl win out of their one appearance. Same with the New Orleans Saints. Philadelphia Eagles, one win, two losses in 18th place. Seattle Seahawks, one win and two losses in 19th place. Los Angeles Rams, one win and three losses in 20th place. Now, anybody with any common sense would not reward a team for only getting to one Super Bowl and winning it over a team that's been there for four times but has lost to three of them. I understand two wins beats one win, but one win and zero losses does not beat one win and three losses if you're talking about in regards strictly to the Super Bowl. So in other words, if the Rams had not been to those other three Super Bowls, they would they'd move up five places in the standings. And this isn't the only place I've seen it, not to pick on pro football reference. This seems to be the standard approach, and I'm calling foul right here, right now. It's wrong. They need to fix it. That's going to do it for this episode. Next week, we're going to have an evaluation of the Rams' offensive line, potential free agents, and NFL draft picks that might be able to fill in at center, guard, and offensive tackle. And we'll address anything else that comes up Rams-wise or local sports-wise. Hope you come back and give us a listen.